Welcome back to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk into a Bar. My name is Jamal and I'm a Buddhist. I'm Jacob and I am a Christian. Uh, we are here today in the Holy Woden Library um, doing our recording of uh, it's a, it's a Monday evening. It's uh, the, the prayer time at the Woden Library, I think. Do you think the Woden Library, places in general, remember things? Will the Woden Library podcasting studio remember us when we're gone, Jamal? Will our presence linger on? I thought that was what the soundproof on? barriers were doing. We're capturing, just capturing our DNA. Our DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't know. I, I, no, I, short answer, no. I, I don't believe that places, inanimate objects have memories. Excellent. And that is the end of our podcast today. Uh, no, you, you have an article for us about an inanimate object. I certainly do. The inanimate object um, that I have an article on today is the Canterbury Cathedral. Okay. Um, which is being used, according to this article, for a rave at some point later this year. Now, please, so this, this article is titled Rave in the Nave. Is that the name of the rave? Because that would be I, the best. I really hope so. Um, and th there's been this trend, as far as I can tell, about... Um, the, the cathedrals, especially in the UK, kind of doing more things than just churchy stuff. That they're being, they're being kind of communal assets. It's described here as a way of finding the large sums the cathedral needs to survive. Um, so they'll, they want to have the young in the cathedral. Right. So, so, so they're open this to is, it being a money making scheme. So the the article that we have here that is describing this is very opposed right. to what is occurring. So I couldn't tell you in good faith exactly kind of what and why, but I, I rather suspect money and the maintenance of heritage-listed buildings and this kind of thing is part of the motivation. So are you, are you, are you saying that the British government's insistence of cutting all public spending, including the maintenance of heritage-listed buildings, leads to uh, raves... In God's holy places. <laughs> and comedy gigs, apparently. Yeah. Um, we've got another, there's another article by um, David Mitchell mm -hmm. in The Guardian, which we'll throw into the links as well, that, that describes a monthly holiday, sorry, monthly comedy nights at the Newcastle Cathedral with yeah, a okay. bar and merchandise outlet. All right. Yeah. Um, so I guess, so, you know, uh, Venues like public venues or entertainment venues being uh, placed in what were previously religious buildings, it has a bit mm -hmm. of a history, right? I think you know, there's there's lots of old religious buildings that have been converted into pubs or venues and that or kind Airbnbs of stuff. Or Airbnbs and right, yeah. 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 Um, I guess like that's an interesting question. Like, what, what what are your thoughts as a as a Christian, as somebody who does think those spaces are holy when it comes to those being used whilst they're also being used for holy purposes. Well, and this is a the question of kind of what is holy and what is sacred. So the the church where I serve at the moment, like we meet in a community centre that is, you know, ninety five percent of the rest of the time used for not church stuff. Does that mean that it's kind of unholy when we're there or not? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't know. And and I guess the the probably the the key thing going on here is that holiness. I think, at least to an extent, is in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. 
And so if a like to, for something to be sacred is literally for it to be set aside for a particular purpose, right? Mm. And so if something is set aside for the worship of God, and in fact, a lot of churches, um, I don't know if temples do the same thing, but like a lot of churches will have a, a cornerstone, like a dedication stone that will say, you know, this building was opened or this stone was laid to the glory of God in whatever year by whoever and so on. And so it's, it's a setting apart of the place mm. as a place of worship. And I guess when you, when you sell it, you're kind of unsetting it apart in a way. But, yeah, it's a vexed question when it's an, an ongoing, um, yeah. Well, and I think, too, that what vexes it even more is that, like, when it when it sells its space or when, you know, I, 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 we'll take this article at face value and say sure. that the Canterbury Church is knowingly engaging in, uh, you know, well, we're going to sell our space to, to make money and we're doing it purely to make money and actually this isn't really a religious event. This is just a way that we can pay our bills. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I guess there's an interesting question there of like, if that genuinely is the only way for them to pay their bills, can that be a holy act because it's actually allowing the space to still uh, operate its sacred function, right? So if we live in a world where the Canterbury Cathedral is not given sufficient government or philanthropic funds in order to keep itself going, um, well, if it hosts a rave, but that then means that it can then operate for six months as a as a church. I mean, where, where's the line there? Yeah, and that's a like that's a interesting kind of utilitarian argument as well, right? Like, at, at what cost do you keep something open or not? Because th- I would suggest that um, if you if a place of worship can't sustain its own funds to maintain itself as a thing like is it really necessary for the worshipers like and 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 do those who use it as a place of worship actually care enough about the place and the what they're doing there or sorry not not do they care enough are there enough of them who care enough to maintain it as a as an ongoing concern um, and I, I guess this is the story of the Anglican Church in the UK, right? Like when church attendance drops off as it has over the last 60 years or so, and you've got all of these lovely old buildings and cathedrals that even people who aren't Christian or aren't Anglican feel some connection to, what do you do then? And and do you need them all for a church that is significantly numerically smaller than it once was? Yeah, and... it's a fascinating kind of thing to unpack, right? Because I think think that's a really good point, right? Is that should a church only be the size of its congregation is I think maybe what what that boils down to, right? That, Mm. you know, if... Or or the size to be sustained by its its congregation or fellow travellers in in faith. Because, uh, again, I I don't know how this would work out in other religions, but there's... I'm not sure I buy... So just to hold you on that point for a second, I'm not sure I buy this size to be sustained by your congregation because I think that then inherently privileges wealthier congregations over poorer congregations. Well, and so that's exactly, this is a fellow travellers bit. Um, I was about to say that there's long traditions in the church of kind of non-financially viable congregations in inverted commas being supported, you know, those who have little being supported by those who have plenty, right. as yeah. it were. Because um, yeah. there's some socioeconomic factors that mean that, you know, congregations in particular places are just aren't going to be able to, afford the same things that they would in wealthier places yeah yeah no, and so I, th- I think there's an argument for that and i think there's an argument to say that you know well if canterbury cathedral for example can't maintain its grounds and you know 
um, ostentatiousness uh, with the the generosity of its congregation, maybe it should downsize. Maybe that, that congregation should move to a smaller thing and maybe it needs to, you know, not be there. But I, I don't know. I think there's a, I mean, I mean, I don't believe this myself, but I'm, I, I could imagine there's being an argument of, you know, well, it's the glory of God, right? It's that, you know, you need such a big, beautiful building because that's properly worshipping it and to to reduce that size is to reduce the way, the level at which you're worshipping God at. Well, and that's kind of like a live debate in the church at the moment, right? And I'll, I'll park my own views on this for a moment, but there's, there's a view that says, well, kind of none of that matters and God doesn't need a, a human-made building mm. to be glorified. And there's another view that says, well, yes, we do need these big, you know, big buildings and that kind of thing because people are forgetting about God already and that's why they're not being valued is because people have forgotten about God and they need to, you know, get get back on the glory train. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, um, so uh, it's fascinating. I um, I, I wonder to, you know, it, it, it's interesting, I mean, I don't know the details of the finances of the Church of England and whatever else, but like it seems like an interesting spot to have found itself in because it seems like something that lots of other religions and lots of other Christian denominations have just managed to work out. Like you never see the Catholic Church begging for begging for coin. I, again, they, they have coin through some very shady means potentially, and lots of historical uh, theft and things like so, that. But like, but but even the mosques are never quite running out of money, and they've they've set up a tithing system in their cultures to help sustain that. And even the Buddhist temples, you know, in there are Buddhist temples in Australia that have these massive stupas that were built because people in Thailand donated millions of dollars to do it. You yep, know, so like, yep. it and, and and you know that one is less of a. Um, I mean, yeah, I think I think there is a kind of expectation of donating to 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 monastic orders in in Thailand and that kind of stuff. But yeah, like it 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 just feels a bit like it's a weird version. It's it's a weird religion that hasn't quite worked out how to financially run itself. I I think it's it's more that the way that it financially ran itself doesn't work mm. anymore. And I I would beg to differ with you on other denominations, other Christian denominations having worked this out. I, I don't know about kind of Islam or Buddhism so much, but even the, the Catholic Church is closing and selling um, some properties and some buildings. Um, there was an article, I'll throw in another article uh, in Riot Act recently where the, the editor who grew up in the Catholic Church is kind of bemoaning that this community asset is being sold at the whim of the Vatican um, particularly around a whole lot of money that the Catholic Church needs because they did not very good things for rather a long time related to insurance and legalities mm. and, and all of that stuff. Um, but there's there's been plenty of Protestant churches that have been selling land. The Anglican Church in Tasmania, so not in the UK, um, got itself uh, had quite a bit of negative publicity not that long ago for selling um, churches in Tasmania, which were churches that weren't used, but local communities went, oh, but that's that's our church. You, yeah, you yeah. can't do that. That's and and so this is, I think, particularly for the from an Anglican church perspective, this is kind of what happens when the state religion is no longer the state religion. Right. Like, what do you do with all the stuff that went along with being a state religion? And these these towns in Tasmania, let alone the UK, who go, but but that's our church. You can't sell our church. We never go there, but we like that we have it. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 
Yeah, it's it's super interesting. I do you think it makes so? Uh, uh, let's take for a second that the fact that the church is you know needs to do something to sustain itself. So yeah, so. I'll take your point that maybe not lots of churches don't have great business models, uh, and but again, I think other religions do it pretty well. Again, you know, in, in Islam, that they, they, they instilled a rule where you give ten percent of your money to the to to I don't know the name so of the, it's it's like like the, tithing, the Muslim order. Which is yeah, yeah. In, in but, some yeah. in some Christian traditions, there's a right. So thing there's a tithing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in um, you know, in, in Buddhism again, there's that culture of quite. Uh, you know, it, it's funny when you teach people to give up their physical possessions, they'll, they'll tend to give up their <laughs> physical possessions um, and, and, and help, help you survive. Um, you know, in, in lots of other religions, there's, there's lots of other things. I, so well, but see, I, I don't think that this is inherently a problem with the, the teachings or the traditions around finances and that kind of stuff. I, I think what we're looking at here is that the, you, you used to once need more churches mm. than you do now. Right, okay, yeah. Like, uh, uh, yeah. Right. So we'll, we'll take for the, for the moment that, okay, the, the books are a bit cooked and we need to do something to... Um to help prop up the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I, I don't hate the idea of the church doing public events, right? Like I conceptually, I, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, the church is traditionally a public space; it's a community space for for sure. Yeah, I don't mind the idea of the church doing ticketed community events as a way of trying to um to you know to increase its finances. I think lots of um. Well, actually, so here's a side a sidebar conversation. What are your thoughts, I guess, about some of those places turning themselves into tourist attractions. It's, it's what a lot of Buddhist mm-hmm. uh, things have done in Southeast Asia where, you know, the big Buddha statue is tourist attractions and takes a, an entrance fee from the tourists and helps it that way. I mean, are you, are you, open, are you open to churches becoming tourist attractions in that way? Well, I, I think tons of them are. Mm. Um, and, and again, like, I'm not sure that that's inherently... A problem be because especially if you've got big old fancy church places like Notre Dame or Westminster Abbey or whatever like that's that's what it is it's a cultural place as much as it's a religious place and it's mm-hmm. a place steeped in history and that that people want to go to although you do find an interesting line so um, I've been to Westminster Abbey once um, when I was in London and we went to Evensong at Westminster Abbey and they're really, really clear that this is a time of worship. And if you want to come and just look around at Westminster Abbey and all of the cool stuff and whatever, you need to come before five o'clock or whenever it is and you pay your gold coin or your five pounds or whatever it is to go and have a look around. And if you're here in the evening, you're here for Evensong and you're here for worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this couple sitting in front of us that were like, covertly trying to take all the photos of the things and, and like it was clear they'd just come to do the touristy thing without paying for it in the worship time um, and that I'm kind of not really down with because it's well everyone else is actually here for this particular purpose and it, it's it's cool to worship in that particular space um, mm. but you, we're not here to take selfies of ourselves at Westminster or whatever So so yeah. that's a particular kind of meeting of the two and I, I don't know if this happens with um like some of the buddhist temples that it, it, have a lot of tourism does that interfere with the worship it definitely happens much. with mosques uh yeah. so i've been to quite a few mosques around the world and they 
quite clearly just go, we are open from these hours and these are our prayer times and we're close to prayer times, thanks. Yeah. Um, I have actually been in a mosque at prayer time, but that was mostly because I was at a mosque around prayer time and then somebody invited me to join in the prayer. So I was like, okay, well, I, I can, I'll, I'll stay and do that. Um, but, um, but yeah, Buddhist temples, um, they, they broadly... So the thing with Buddhist temples that's different is that nearly every single Buddhist temple is also a monastery. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there, there are very, very few, like there are a couple, but there are very, very few Buddhist temples that do not actively have a monastic community living at the temple and essentially set, living their whole life in and around the temple. And a lot of the the big sites that you might see when you go to look at Buddhist places are statues or things that have been created, but still very much around the monastic community there. So um in that sense, um, you know, the Buddhist monasteries tend to just like close at a certain time of day where they're like, well, yeah, we've got to go, we've got to go to bed now, people. Totally. They'll, they'll leave us yep. alone. You yep. know, there's, there's a kind of natural ending to things um, where they, where the, where the monks just do their monk stuff and the yeah, people aren't really welcome to go and look at that statue while the monks are doing their monk stuff because it's, it's monk time. Um, you know, um, but also I, I would say that, yeah, in, in Buddhism, there's, you know, I don't know if a tourist snuck in, they'd be like, "Oh, cool! You get to listen to the Dharma. That's cool." You know, like yep. no, no one's particularly caring all that much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to ask though is that the do you think it matters what events happen? So if, if we're taking the premise that churches are going to run events, you know, I think mm-hmm. one of the things that I think this uh, writer is taking umbrage with is the fact that it's a rave and that it's like a it's a alcohol fueled dance party. Mm-hmm. which I think they probably read as not very religious. With a profound exhortation such as real slim shadies. So, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, and again, I'm not I'm – not, this article is taking a particularly ungenerous line towards yes. it, I think. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. Um, but you know, even in the David Mitchell article, it's, it's a comedy gig. Um, yep. I would imagine a number of those comedians are making jokes at the expense of the church because that's a funny thing to do when you're doing a gig in a church. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, like, yeah. So I, I, I guess the question is here, does it matter what those events are to you? Um, well, actually, let's start with that. And I'll do a follow-up question depending on your answer. Um, look, it, it, it probably does to, to some extent or other. Um, purely because there's particular patterns of being and ways of doing things that are kind of uh, regarded within Christian tradition anyway as being like unholy, mm. essentially. Um, and there's a difference, I think, between having a space where everyone is welcome regardless of who you are and what you've done and whatever and actively encouraging people like like um so to to take a really easy extreme example for a church to be functioning during the week as a brothel like that just doesn't fly for me for a whole bunch of reasons and it's it's probably i'm pretty sure jesus um ministered to prostitutes yeah absolutely but jesus didn't run brothels sure and there's actually a like we we could go into all sorts of all sorts of stuff around that and um kind of efforts that christians put in against the trafficking of women and this kind of stuff um they go like it's it's probably easier to conceptualize because i think muslims generally have a stricter view 
on this of like can, can you imagine a mosque being used for like a, a rave party for instance well, or I, even I, a comedy gig i would like, think yeah i mean the part of the difference yeah. there is the the restrictions on alcohol consumption in the muslim community well, and, and this is what i mean yeah. like it's, it's it's easier to conceptualize because there are there are clearer kind of moral codes i think in islam right well and so to, to me that leads, does lead me to my second question which is how do you find the line mm. you know how do you find the line of what is acceptable and not um and you know, I my instinct is that and I think part of that part of that question comes down to like what's honouring God or not. I guess right, yeah. and, and I guess because that, that's what the space is set aside to do. And I guess that's yeah. it, right? You know, I, I, I'm kind of with you in the sense that I, you know, I'm, I might not have the exact same uh, thoughts about it as you do, but broadly speaking, I think that if a place is a functional sacred space, it should, at the very least, things that happen there should respect that yep. side of it, right? Um, so yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I think a uh, a dance party rave is is you know the the way to go. But I think there are ways that are interesting that you could do. And I think you know, mm. I think broadly speaking, I, you could use the sacredness of the space as a bit of a hook for those kinds of things, right? So you know, um, you might want to say, okay, you know, I don't want to do a dance party rave, but, but what if you did actually do a um, you know, uh, a a themed dance party rave that actually does worship God. That actually it's all yeah, Christ- yeah. it's all Christian music yeah. that's getting played, well, and it's you, that you only have wine, and you know, <laughs> like all these kinds of things you could kind of do to 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 actually to do it in a way that that does actually pay some homage to what the the venue is actually used for else uh, 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 in other times yeah and like i know a guy um down in victoria i don't know if he's still doing it post COVID or not but like ran like a dance ministry mm. where it was just about dancing but also doing that in a way that was connecting right and like I, God. I, I don't understand um, why you wouldn't put on theater shows there i think there's a very you know a very mm-hmm. easy link to put on theater shows and as long as you kind of vet them for them to not be you know deeply religiously offensive i think that's the kind of thing that that space could really be used for as a you know even if it's not a a religious theater show it's you know going to watch waiting for godot at a church (laughs) would be a fascinating kind of thing to play into right and to actually i've I've been to concerts at st peter's cathedral in adelaide which yeah yeah, because it's a it's a wonderful venue for that kind of thing right and and classical music i think would be an easy step in there and you know yeah where where are the partnerships with the local symphony orchestras to to do that and you know that i mean most classical music is religious in some kind of way you know there's a very easy way to do it there and see i think there's a there's a distinction there perhaps between what are things that we can do that help people connect with this place mm. and by extension are going to help people connect with god versus what are we doing so that we can raise the funds to keep the doors open or but i think i think there is a crossover on that venn Absolutely. diagram right and yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah and i think it's um, it seems a little um, unimaginative for those churches to not be thinking where, where how can we live in that in that crossover space? Yep. Um, because you know there are lots of things that happen in society that do genuinely, um, yeah, you know, that, that that really are um, spiritual. And so, how can you do? How can you find those things? You know, and and there's a lot of things that Christian youth groups do that are they're connecting with one another they're connecting with god but alongside that they're you know doing fun kid games or music or like whatever other stuff it may be like in a completely 
religious context doing stuff that sometimes a like 40 or 50 year old looks at and go oh that's not very you know you shouldn't be doing right that kind of and, thing and, yeah and that's the thing like I, I the minute you start to think about it it becomes really ob- there's lots of options like I, I once went to during white night in melbourne the the kind of all night uh festival they ran i'm not sure if they still do it or not um but you know I, there was a there was a little murder mystery go around the city and do different things and you know speak to different actors about yeah, kind of solve the mystery thing and mm-hmm. one of one of the bits was in st peter's yep. w- 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 was in the church right and like you know they played on the fact that it's a church and it's kind of yep. spooky and you can kind of like do that and like you know that 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 makes it like you know you could run murder mystery parties in in the church you could do all sorts of different things that actually do connect in that kind of way so yeah i don't know i um i i'm i don't i don't agree with the, with this <laughs> author's vehement kind of quite you know you know uh you know turning their nose up at things about it all but i do kind of i do get the the broad premise of going okay maybe you need to do some stuff to to actually to actually pay the bills here but you know you can be a bit more Imaginative. I mean, again, if this actually is Raven the Knave and it's got some themed thing, I, I, I'm all down with it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I broadly agree with that. I think mm. um, something I, I the the thing that the article kind of did raise for me though is um, do we do we lose something when we lose these places or when they're no longer set apart for religious usage? So he he talks here about you know there's the the spot where Thomas Beckett was martyred. Um, and uh, ev- every stone on that floor carried the weight of streams of desperate people, both the questing suffering, but equally those who'd walked away healed, infused with joy at the miraculous answers to their prayers. Like that, that sense of not just you're kind of conceptually with all of the line of saints that have come before, but like you're physically here in this place. Like, and, and the classic example is um, probably Notre Dame, when that burned down a couple of years ago or partially mm. burned down and then the state funded a massive reconstruction. Like, do we lose something if we lose a building like that or the Taj Mahal or, mm. you know, um, the the Golden Temple? Yeah. And, um, the Sikh tradition. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't know um, why I blanked on Sikh yeah. there for No, a that's right. But no, actually, no, it's a good point. It does remind me of a time a Christian Buddhist walked into a bar in France. Okay. Um, and yeah, yeah. they walked into a French bar and they... Um, really? Yeah, it, it 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 was it was it was right near some of those big churches, and they um, they yeah they walked in and they um they had a, a photo of the the fire of Notre Dame on the wall in that bar, and they they went up to the bartender and like yeah what's um what's going on here, um and you know the, yeah they're like you know, were you there like you know what happened you know you tell tell us the story and he told the story and at the end of the story of the, of the fire of Notre Dame the bartender goes and you know you know what guess what. God did about it, right? Guess you know, the, the the church burnt down. It was a terrible travesty. What did God do about France's most famous cathedral? And the Christian were just sort of like, I don't know. Like, tell us. And and the bartender was like, Notre Dame thing. Hey. hey. <laughs> I wondered where that was going yeah, for a yeah. while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I had to had to inject the joke there. No, no, was, that was uh, good. Was good the, timing. Was the right yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I. So actually, there's a story I can tell actually that um of the Hagia Sophia in yeah. in um in in Istanbul, um, and and because I think I think this is the thing, right? I think realistically, I think what we are trying to get at here is not only 
a way that you can use spaces in interesting ways that respect the religious traditions, but also that really deeply don't disrespect the religious traditions. And I think that's probably the more important right. thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and working out what that line of disrespect is. Yeah. Right. Now, firmly on the wrong side of that line, and the most American <laughs> thing I have ever seen in my life, I was at the Hagia Sophia, uh, which is a uh, gorgeous, beautiful mosque in, uh, in Istanbul. Uh, and, you know, I was walking around quite politely and, you know, dressed appropriately and, you know, observing and, you know, you know really contemplating and generally having a great time. Um, and the, the, in the Hagia Sophia, there's a, there's a, it's an active mosque. And so mm-hmm. there's a, there's a bit, there's like a, not a fence, but like a, a you know, a, a bit of, I don't know, a, oh, is this a, a divider. Men and women. No, side, what, what, a divider between the prayer side and the tourist side. Oh, okay, fair right? enough. So yeah, that, yeah. here's the divider. Yep. Please only cross this if you're going to go and actually pray, because you know this is a, this is a fair and reasonable place. Yeah, yep. uh, and you know, tourists, please stand on the other side of this divider. You can you can watch and you know, you can even be here during prayer and you can watch, but like just don't go in and pray. And then there were these Americans, hmm. and these Americans crossed the divider, and like these were you know. Like, think about your most stereotypical Americans you can think of. They were in shorts in a mosque, which is its own problem. Uh, yeah, wearing baseball cap and, like, you know, really large guy or whatever else. And they cross the they cross the divider and they walk all the way up to the imam's chair. Oh. They sit in the imam's chair oh. and they start to take photos in the imam's chair. Yep, yep. And I just sat there and I just, I just couldn't. It was just the most, like... Disrespectful mm-hmm. thing, and I'm sure it was driven out of this whole like, well, I don't give a shit about this religion. I'm not gonna, yeah, you know, I'm not a Muslim. I don't I, and care. I, assuming they were even thinking that much about it, right? Yeah. Or like, I want to take a photo. It's like, oh my god, I just couldn't, and it was just, yeah, I, I don't know. So I, th- I think this kind of goes to an extent back to the conversations that we were having with um, Rebecca last year uh, about that. Ultimately, it comes down to the people whose religious practice it is, like what do they tell you that you can or can't do with the space? Mm. And then where that becomes difficult is where you have, I, I think the guy who wrote this article, and it definitely was a guy, um, is a Catholic rather than an Anglican now. But where you have, you know, an Anglican dean says, oh yes, you can use the cathedral for X and a whole bunch of other Anglicans mm. go, hang on, what? Like, how, yeah. and, and that's where you get, these kind of more challenging gray zone situations. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, when people internally to the religion are disagreeing with each other about it, that that's a whole nother problem, right? Yeah, and like, correct. Yeah, you, in, that, in that point, you need your authority lines clear. Well, and, the, and there's all sorts of questions around like authority in, in Western cultures. Mm. Um, anyway, what happens when a Buddhist temple closes? I, I presume that, from time to time, this oh, a, a Buddhist temple happens? has never closed in its life. The Buddhism's on the up and ups. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, I, I don't know actually. So I mean, I think it gets repurposed. Like I think mm-hmm. they they generally they would um they would probably just sell the space um and you know um so I again being an Australian Buddhist, I've only ever seen Buddhist temples open, not closed, because there have not been many Buddhist temples in Australia. Yeah. And then, then yeah, in some, Australia, it's a completely different. Right. So you know, so um you know, one of the Buddhist temples in Melbourne, I go to um. They're um, they're actually uh, they they've bought the property that was the set for the man from Snow River. 
Oh. Uh, they're there. Uh, but then, uh, but often I've seen Buddhist temples doing construction projects. They're building things. Yep. Um, so yeah, I genuinely I don't because I presume that like you know there have been temples that have closed in Thailand or Cambodia right. or whatever. And yeah, yeah, I'm sure they have. Um, but I genuinely don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I, I know that Buddhist temples don't need a heap of monks in order to stay open. Like mm-hmm. I think like essentially what they can as long as there are monks who are willing to stay there and maintain it, like you know, there's, there's no reason to close it. And like often, you know, Buddhist, Buddhist temples won't often have loans or like mortgages to pay. Like it's kind of, you know, they'll, they'll buy it outright or not. Um, and so, you know, that there, there's generally uh, it's maintenance and upkeep costs and, but, but the Buddhist community will kind of chip in where it needs to, to keep, keep a monastery going, even if there's only one, one or two monks, actually one of the, one of the temples over in Bundanoon that I visit a lot often only has one monk there, but you know, has enough community support to yeah. to warrant it. Um, well, yeah, because what you're describing there is is literally how churches have functioned, mm. certainly in Australia for for most of the time, as right. far as I can tell. But just when there's only half a dozen of you and you're trying to maintain yeah. Canterbury Cathedral, it's, it gets a bit tricky. It's yeah. hard, right? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, I'm not sure about uh, overseas. Like, I'm sure it has happened, and I'm sure that they have uh, closed. And I, I guess you know they would either um, abandon them or. Um, yeah, some some of them are well, often and I guess a couple of hundred years ago, it was probably easy. You, you just abandoned things just in a away. way that we well, probably don't so much. There are lots of abandoned yeah. cathedrals and abandoned, you know, hermitages and that kind of stuff all around the world, right? And yeah, yeah. I think it's probably that. It's probably even Angkor Wat, right? Right. Like yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think it, it either gets abandoned uh, or it gets sold if it can. But if it can't get sold, I think you just walk away. You just go, yeah. well, I, I can't maintain this anymore, and you know, it's you know, it's costing more than it's actually being able to do. So yeah. Yeah. Do you, and do you get a sense in some particular places of kind of the sacredness of it? Because, like, so I say this as having been, you know, to a bunch of cathedrals and things in Western Europe, mm. and there is something to, you know, thousands of people over, you know, a thousand years in some cases have been here and have prayed. And um, I think you've spoken in the bar sometimes about, like, your experiences in Cambodia at particular places. Does Is there something sacred about some places or the people that have been there or the fact that the Buddha was there once? I mean, or, cer- yeah. certainly. I mean, in Buddhism, I think a lot of that would come down to enlightenment. So, you know, if, if it's if it's a place where the Buddha was or a place where someone who was enlightened was, I think there's a level of... Um, of, of energy that is that is there that has kind of been lingering from that from that kind of imbuedness, but also, but yeah, I, I think there is a a sacredness to it. Um, you know, I I don't know exactly what it is, and I don't know what line it becomes sacred or doesn't become sacred. Yep. But yes, the yep. short answer is I think that certain places that have been places of worship, I think of all religions, are uh, become sacred um, just due to the the engagement that the people have with that worship there. And there's a um, really interesting, I'm going off on a slight tangent at the moment, but there's a really interesting question of like, how much is that because you, you know it is mm. or not? And I I remember I did a cultural walk last year with the Ngunnawal elder um, around near Parliament House. Uh, and he mentioned walking along a, a street in Canberra and having a deep sense of feeling, I should not be here, that he he couldn't place and he took a photo of it and sent it to his sister who's an auntie as well and um she recognized a tree in the street and was like yeah this is a woman's business area mm-hmm. like you, you should not be there he didn't know that that's what it was he was just innocently walking down the street but had this deep sense that something was wrong here 
And so is, is that a play, thing, do you reckon, in places that they there's something innate to the place or is it just the value that we humanly put on it? And how, how do you reckon that interacts? I mean, is there a reason it can't be both? Sure. Uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> and kind of like the place almost remembering the human interaction in a way, I guess. Right, yeah. Like I think, you know, um, in Buddhism we have this concept of like, you know, kalamas and it's kind of like it's – the easiest way to describe it is like vibes. It's like, <laughs> sure. You know, these little like – these intricate little like energ- energetic things. And it's like, yeah, like, like places can have um, – you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a relativist. I believe that places can have spirituality. Places can have like actual, genuine, um, you know, religious significance that has nothing to do with the people, but also this is kind of the like you said vibes, but like the kind of vibrations, the, yeah. the way that um, atoms and stuff kind of right. remember, you know, exactly sense. right, yeah. yeah. But but also then people also impose onto that additional layers, right? People, you know. Remember what was the line of the article? The 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 stone where someone was martyred. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like it. I think there's there can be both, and I think there often is both. There's lines in the um, Hebrew scriptures about the the blood crying out mm. from the land where it was spilled. And right, kind exactly. Of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, well, if that's all we've got for today, I think I think it's a good spot to end it. Um, it's a good place. You could yeah, say. Hey, hey, a good place. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you everybody for listening. Um, you can contact us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com if you have any particular religious places you want to let us know about existing in the world. Absolutely. And we'd love to hear your take on places. Well, we'd love it if you could join us in the place of a bar in Canberra. If you follow Christian Buddhist Bar on Facebook, you'll see the details of that. Yeah, and our music is by Kevin McLeod, The Best Place on Earth. We'll see you next week. <laughs>